It's now that time in the show where I get to sit down with an influential voice in the city, get to know them better, as well as hear their thoughts about the city right now. My guest today is Angie Peters. She is the president and CEO of Young Street Mission, a developmental uh, agency specializing in poverty-related challenges. Welcome, Angie. Thank you. It's great to be here, Maggie. So, Angie, Young Street Mission has uh, been serving Toronto since 1896. Tell us about the work you and the team do in the city. Yeah, I mean, yeah, so we are 127 years old now, and um, and it has always been the same. Our focus has always been to just come alongside people who are, are struggling to overcome poverty in their lives and uh, and get to know them and all of them, right, the, the full aspect of who they are and what's what's it impacting them and their ability to move out of poverty and just provide the supports that they need. So that's what we do. We have um, we are now uh, uh, about 140 staff, uh, over 3,000 volunteers, and we serve about 11,000 unique individuals a year out of um, out of six buildings in the downtown east. Now, what does that look like? I mean, you know, you've been a part of the team since 2013. How, how have you seen Toronto change, and maybe the the needs of those that you serve? Uh, evolve over the years? Yeah, I mean, so in some ways, nothing has changed. Mm-hmm. And in some ways, big things have changed. You know, poverty is 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 not a systemic thing. It's a human thing, right? Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's an experience that human beings have. And human beings have always had the same needs and the same, you know, dreams and desires for their lives. And um, what has happened that has changed is the environment around people experiencing poverty in this city. And it's actually made things more difficult. Uh, we think, you know, I mean, and it's, just, it's, uh, it's deceiving because if you look at sort of the broad statistics across Canada, you see that um, our poverty rate's not that high. Mm. But, but this, the, the hidden sort of fact of poverty is that it's, uh, it's disproportionately realized by certain members of our society. So while the average is, is low, uh, the numbers are quite high for specific groups. And so we focus on uh, some of those specific groups. Uh, but for example, um, you know, single parent families experience, uh, you know, 37% of them experience poverty, mm. uh, which is a lot higher than the Canadian 8% average. So we uh, we just really kind of are trying to help people who are specifically uh, challenged by poverty um, overcome the challenges and barriers that they face to moving forward. Um, and obviously, since the pandemic, those have increased. Talk to me about how you work alongside these individuals to overcome, because, I mean, I work in the non- nonprofit world as well, um, and there is a lot of red tape. And uh, and it is very hard to navigate the systems of, you know, from the province, uh, federally, all the way down, social agencies. And if you don't, A, understand the language, I mean, even if you do, um, you know, there there's just so much. I mean, I, I've walked alongside a couple of people who, and I, you know, born and raised here and confused. You know, you go to one place and they tell you, no, you have to go to this place. And so there are just so many layers that make it very hard uh, for people to receive help. And I understand that those are checks and balances to protect everyone. 
But what it causes is I think it takes away people's dignity. It takes away, uh, you know, people's just sense of um, feeling like they can turn somewhere and, and, and feel a sense of safety as well. So what does that look like when you come aside, come alongside someone who is struggling uh, in the margins of our society to say, hey, let's walk this together to try to overcome mm-hmm. this? Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. And it's it's clear you understand the challenge. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think, so it's, it's we have a model that we call RISE, uh, and that's how we've uh, created our programming. But it stands for Respond, Invite, Support, and Engage. And... Um, the the most of the work is done in the R and the I respond and invite mm-hmm. because a lot of the people who have experienced who are experiencing poverty and are maybe chronically experiencing poverty um, they're they're quite wounded um, already by the system because the system though it was you know had good intentions when it was designed in 1942 for what poverty looked like then um, you know poverty doesn't look like that now so we really shouldn't be too surprised that the system doesn't work today because it was designed for a different era and the world looks, you know, vastly different than it did in 1942. So people are kind of broken down. So anyway, respond, we basically meet people at their point of need, whatever that is. And, um, you know, um, know, one example is uh, a woman named Sharon who came to us in her forties and she was living in a rooming house and she wasn't even in a bedroom. She was sleeping on a floor in, in the middle of a common room in the rooming house. And she was a person that most people would believe, you know what, too far gone, right? Um, and she came to us and her need at that point in time, because her life experience had shown her, taught her survival skills of just kind of flying under the radar and don't make anybody angry, right? Mm-hmm. So she like made herself very small. And she would come in and she just wanted to get food and she didn't want to make anybody angry. And she was very timid. <clears throat> well, walking alongside her, the response started with, okay, we're not going to force you to have conversations. Mm. You know, you can come and have the meal and sit and, and sit alone if you want to sit alone or sit with people if you want to sit with people. But little by little, gently, as she built comfort with the environment, our volunteers and our staff, um, could engage with her a little bit, like small ways. You know, for example, it's great you're here today, Sharon. We're so happy to see you. How are you doing? Mm-hmm. Right? And little things like that, that long story short, after a number of years, uh, during the pandemic, she married uh, a man that she fell in love with at programs at YSM. She's studying to become a personal support worker. And uh, she works our events and shows up with a big smile on her face, shakes people's hands, gives them directions and invites them into the environment that they're in. So complete transformation, starting with just meeting them where they need, inviting them into gently, into relationship and workshops and support programs that can help people work through uh, their trauma, mental health counseling, mentorship, et cetera. And then when the person, and this is the, the magic moment, right? When enough of that happens and they actually start to believe in themselves because we believe in people till they believe in themselves. Yeah. Um, 
she actually, they, you know, people will start to say the dream that they had that they buried or that they forgot they ever had for their lives because they thought it was impossible. Mm. And um, that's the magic moment. So that's when the support stuff kicks in, like the academic tutoring and, and employment supports and what have you. And then engage. And now she's she's helping in community. Um, so it's 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 a complete transformational journey from respond and bite, support and engage. I love that, Angie. I, I'm a big advocate of dignity and choice. And those are two things that get stripped away from people who are in the system, unfortunately, is, mm-hmm. you know, the sense of dignity. You know, it takes a lot for somebody to say, I need help. And, oh, yeah. uh, and when, when somebody says, I need help, what you need to, to do is look them in the eye and see them for who they are. And so many mm-hmm. times dignity gets stripped away. And then choice to say, you know, mm-hmm. even though you're in this situation right now, you still have a choice. And, you know, I think so many times the system is like, take it or someone behind you will take it. So either, you know, take whatever we give you or keep walking. And what I hear too, is that you said to this woman, you have a choice in this situation and we're going to come alongside you. Talk to me, uh, Andrea, a a little bit about yourself. You were a senior exec in the world of telecommunications. You also ran uh, a profit um, social enterprise. What is it about the nonprofit world that drew you in and, and especially the work at Young Street Mission? Yeah, you know, I mean, Maggie, it's interesting, but I think um, I was this kid who never knew what she wanted to be when she grew up anyway. Mm. And so it's been a series of, of steps that have taken me in the direction of where I am now without actually a lot of intentionality, <laughs> to be honest. But um, but really where I really, the common theme is I've wanted to, you know, have an impact, make a difference. And, um, and specifically for people who are marginalized. Mm. I grew up on, on social assistance and, and I don't want to overstate that. It's not like, I mean, a lot of people grew up on social mm-hmm. assistance, but um, I, I, I know firsthand from my family experience and from my family of origin, what chronic poverty can look like. Mm. And and so it's really rewarding, actually, to be finally, you know, ending up at YSM, uh, which is really not too far from where my family started out in Toronto, uh, serving families like mine. Um, so that's so that's sort of the personal uh, motivation for for being involved in this kind of work. And I think it's just because I actually believe what you said about people. I mean, everybody is valuable. Yeah. And uh, and. There are stories behind the reasons why people are where they are that, you know, we, we shouldn't presume to be because they're, they're lazy or incapable or don't want to work. They're, you know, they, they're human beings. Of course, they want everything that the rest of us want yep. for their lives, but things have gotten we're talking to Angie Peters. She is the president and CEO of the Young Street Mission. Now, Angie, um, Young Street Mission has launched a new project called the Revision Project with the goal of brainstorming ways to build affordable housing in this city. Tell me about this initiative. Yeah, it's, I'd love to. I'm so excited about this. Um, you know, Young Street Mission is a Toronto-based organization, and our vision is to end chronic poverty in a generation in this city in partnership with others Mm. Uh, because we're just one agency and we serve one part of the city. And the reality is that, you know, it's not just the social sector. It's, it's everybody in society that needs to come together around 
the most complex issues that we face that have the biggest impact for people living in poverty. Housing is one of the things that, I mean, if you don't have a safe place to live, it's very hard to show up for school or work. Um, you, you know, I mean, it's just it's completely destabilizing. It's a fundamental need. And we all know that. It's, it's even been uh, stated as a human right. And yet we have so many people who, because of the nature of our city and the cost of our city, um, don't have that. Mm. Or it's, in, it's you know, grossly inadequate for their needs and not a healthy living situation. And that is fundamental because without that, um, you can you can work around the edges to try to help that person survive, but the biggest barrier to them actually stabilizing and moving forward is is a safe place to live. Yeah. And we have not built uh, affordable housing or deeply affordable housing for decades in this city, and so now we're currently seeing the cost of that decision in people's lives. And so the revision partnership is something that we built. Um, because we recognize that we would need to collaborate. We need to pull together residential developers and government and policy and agencies and funders to, to come up with a solution to this because no one group can solve this by themselves. And we need a serious rethink because current course and speed, it does not look good. So, so this revision partnership is really just a backbone team. It's not about YSM. It's about us throwing the towel over our arm and saying, how can we support all of the actors who actually have influence over this to come up with a solution that they think will work, that they think they can execute, that we can push through and get done. And uh, with a particular focus on deeply affordable housing, which I'd like to point out isn't even part of the conversation these days. Everybody's talking about affordable housing, but affordable housing is simply not affordable mm -hmm. for people who are on um, social income or minimum wage earners. I think you're absolutely right. I was going to ask you, so what, what are your thoughts on, you know, now it's over 50 candidates that are running for uh, uh, mayor of the city and the conversations um, and the platforms that have been proposed. Um, is it enough for you? I think you've alluded to it. It's not enough in the conversation of, of deeply affordable housing. It's not, and it's 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 it's, um, and I think it's connected to this and kind of this this false narrative we live under when it comes to politics, which is, and I'm not saying that to judge the politicians, yeah. but you know we're part of the we're, we're shaped by the ecosystem we live in, right? And I think one of the false beliefs that we have is that there has to be a trade-off that um, we can't afford economic growth and social programs. That there's a trade-off between those two things. But actually, even in our history in Canada, not so long ago, it's a little bit dated, but there was an, there was an article done by the National Post uh, a while back that talked about the, um, the change in the number of people living in poverty by province mm. based on the low income measure after taxes uh, for a 13 year period between 2003 and 2016. And the, and the notion is that you can't have high growth and and, and cover all the, of the social systems that are required because you don't have enough money to go around or that that's not positive for the health of the community. Well, in Ontario, in that period of time, where a high growth, there's two high growth provinces uh, there, Ontario and BC. Ontario uh, grew, as did BC, economically, 
But Ontario, the number of people living under low-income measure after taxes went up by 26% mm. over that period. And in BC, it went down by 23% wow. in that period. So it's it's a false polarity. And, um, and we need to invite our politicians to dig deep into what is really the solution. Like we have to face the facts. We can't talk about what's doable or what we think is doable and, and say that that's enough if it's simply not enough. Yeah. So who's at the table of this revision project? What does that look like? What are, what's the uh, plan that you've, that you and, and this team have set forth to do, but, you know, obviously building deeply affordable housing, but concretely what does that look like yeah so it's early stages and this is hard this is hard work i mean if it was easy it would have been solved by now yeah but um we've got a group of people together a core group that participated in a poverty hackathon that i did last year okay and out of that emerged these three working groups so there's a hack poverty working group on deeply affordable housing there's one on income and benefits and there's one on access to community supports Um, on the housing table uh, we've got uh, residential developers, we've got uh, commercial bankers, we've got social policy experts, we've got philanthropists, and we have um, um, media involved mm. to to come together and say, okay, let's design something that that will we think will work. Um, and right now they're in the process of inviting other people onto that table that we feel are necessary to really do this kind of work. But the goal in year one is to assemble the right kind of group to come up with a solution that they think is workable within a year. Hmm. Um, and that's pretty audacious, I think. I'm yeah. proud of them for coming up with that. And then, so how long is, okay, so that's year one. And then what's the next step? So the next step would be... Um, Starting, starting to get it established and starting to execute it, which is hard to define if it's not developed yet. Yeah. But the idea would be that, I mean, essential elements would be that um, the actors that are involved in building housing each have an appropriate role to play mm. that works works for them. Um, so you've got government, you've got you know for-profit developers, you've got non-profit developers, you've got agencies. We're trying to develop right now housing. So you've got all kinds of actors What's the appropriate role for them to play that, that actually is sustainable that we can all buy into that could be funded so that we can actually get down to it and start to have all of us push forward projects that will build deeply affordable housing. Hmm. And that would apply here, but it could also be a model that would apply across the country. Right. And what does the role of members of the community who are actually living in poverty, what role do they play in the revision project? Yeah, actually, I'm sorry, I didn't even mention that. It's the most important thing. Yeah, um, yeah so um, the, 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 at the outset, my goal was to ensure that uh, people with lived experience or living experience in poverty are actually in charge. Mm. So um, at the hackathon, we had a panel of four parents, uh, single family, single parent families, um, be in charge working with me on designing that and carrying it out. And each of the hack poverty working groups are co-chaired by one person with, with lived experience and one sector person, and they're working together to lead the team. But the idea is that, I mean, this kind of work is hard, right? Yeah. And everybody has, it's actually emotional too, right? People, people really 
uh, it's intense at times. So the only thing that can hold us together is if we stay centered on the real needs of a real person mm. who's really experiencing it and make that our highest priority. So good. I love it. And all the best on uh, on this project, Angie. Thank, oh, thank you, you so, so much, much for for being on Toronto this weekend. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. And, uh, and thanks for uh, creating this kind of forum for uh, speaking out in Toronto. I just encourage everybody to really think before they vote. That's my last word. <laughs> Amen to that one. Amen to that. <laughs> Thank you so much, Angie. That was Angie Peters. She is president and CEO of the Young Street Mission.